Welcome to Church Ahead, the weekly Christian podcast talking about big questions facing the future of church with Rev L all the way from the north of England. Episode 48, Cross Jews, is the sixth and final part of our Lent series looking at is Jesus' death the most important thing about him? We've met three members of the evangelist group. We talked to Mark, the Yorkshire farmer, Luke, the Durham University professor of history, and John, the beetle in Liverpool, who's very high. So who do you think we're going to meet today? I had an appointment at my accountant's on Berry New Road, somewhere north of Manchester. It was in a row of Jewish shops, and yes, there was a mezuzah on the doorframe as I walked in. I sat down in the waiting room, and after flicking through the Jewish chronicle, the receptionist said, Matthew will see you now. So I walked in and was greeted by a middle-aged man in a navy suit wearing a yarmulke on his head, sat behind a desk with a little flag of Israel. He looked a tad uneasy at the sight of me in my clerical collar, so I tried to break the ice. I put on the biggest smile I could find, and I opened up with, You don't mind working for the Goyim, do you? We don't discriminate against anyone, Matthew said. We work for lots of Gentiles, as long as you haven't come here to convert me. We're a bit fed up of Christian missionaries round here. OK, I said, let's agree that I wouldn't dare. But whilst I'm here, can I ask you about the gospel you wrote, Matthew? I've always liked the balance you bring to Jesus' biography. I love your nativity scene. I like the way you keep him teaching right up to chapter 25. And then you deal with the plot, trial and death in just two chapters. But he still didn't really like this. He said, look, I think I've said it all in my gospel. Yeshua bar Yosef was a good Jewish boy who fulfilled Tanakh. He was very good in pointing out some of the faults in first century Palestinian Judaism. And that's really all there is to say. Now, you're not going to put me on that church ahead thing, are you? Well, I did wonder if you might. No, no, no. Why can't you Christians just leave us alone? Don't you think we've suffered enough? You Christians are obsessed with Jesus' death, sacrifice for this, offering that. We Jews gave up sacrifice for sin in 70 AD. When will you grow out of this obsession with the execution of a first century Jew? As though that's going to get you anywhere. Matthew, I really do love your gospel And I'm sorry to remind you of the painful past you've suffered under the church. I apologise to you and to all Jewish people. And so we did our business and parted on good terms. Over the years, we've become firm friends. Today's the end of our Lent series. And we've been looking at this version of Christianity that says Jesus' death is the most important thing about him. We've seen how it makes his life and personal qualities harder to see. 
We've seen the way it turns God into the monster an awful lot of people want to get rid of. We've seen how the obsession with death and suffering harms us. And yes, it's done Jewish people a lot of damage too. I started off telling you how confident I felt as a young minister in the cross-centred gospel. I often used to quote to myself <clears throat> Romans chapter 1 verse 16. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. And in one sense, this series has been my reflection on how I think the power has weakened in this message for me. But there is a clue if I complete the verse for you. The full verse says this, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. So the question for today is, has the message that Jesus' death is the most important thing about him been good news for Jewish people and then for the rest of us? We talked last time about what obsession with death and with suffering does for us. And today we're going to move on to looking at what obsession with violence does for us. 21st century civil society is quite concerned about the effect of violent screen imagery on the behaviour of young people. Video games in particular are the subject of considerable scrutiny and debate. Social scientists try to track the behavioural impact on boys especially of violent screen images. And I would be fascinated to see similar studies on the effect to both individual and national behaviour of a religion obsessed with the violent death of its founder. There's a long list of violent atrocities in history where the Christian religion's presence has got difficult questions to answer in terms of our contribution. 1994 saw the genocide of Rwanda in which a million Tutus and Hutsis hacked each other to death. The favourite weapon was a machete. One of the reasons why this massacre was so shocking was that this country was one of the most quickly and deeply converted Christian countries in Africa. Here was a country that had responded really well to 20th century Christian evangelism from European missionaries. Perhaps the Christian religion was unable to tame tribal conflict but I can't help wondering whether the religion with a violent death at its centre made some less benign contribution. Now you could say that church wasn't round long enough in Rwanda to make a real difference. But you could not say that about our next example, Germany, in the 1930s and 1940s. What was Christianity's contribution to this madness? Well, in defence, we could say that the Nazi government running the country in the 12 years of the Nazi era were not very Christian. And while some churchmen collaborated, others were among the more effective protests against the Nazis. Bonhoeffer again. But rather than audit the behaviour of individuals, I prefer to stand back and ask a slightly different question. Germany was one of the most deeply Christian countries in Europe. I hope you've noticed that the theme music for Church Ahead 
is from a certain Leipzig choirmaster and organist called Johann Sebastian Bach. From Bach's choral music to Cologne Cathedral, Germany was a deeply Christian place. Still today, most of the Christian theologians we read were German nationals. German society was pickled in church and in Christianity for centuries. So what I want to ask is this. Why is it that when the bully boy Jew-hater comes round the corner wanting to murder millions of Jews, it's in this very Christian country that he manages to build his industrial-scale genocide? Surely the answer has got something to do with German Christianity. The Nazis were only in power for 12 years. Generations of Germans had their view of the world shaped by the Christian church. Passion events commemorating the killing of Jesus by the Jews must have made the soil of German culture more fertile for growing acceptance of the so-called final solution. Dermot McCulloch was Professor of History at the University of Oxford. Both his father and grandfather were Anglican clergymen. Dermot is unable to see himself as a Christian. One of the reasons he cites for his inability to follow his ancestors in the Christian faith is an awareness of how much Christianity contributed to the rise of anti-Semitism in Germany. He thinks the Nazis built on a long-standing, deep-seated tradition of persecuting Jews, which merely had abated for a few generations. German pogroms against Jews went back several centuries. There's a well-established association between Christian violence against Jewish people and the belief that Jews are the community who bear the blame for Jesus' death. Far too many Jewish people throughout Europe saw their communities attacked as they heard their attackers claim credit for giving Jesus' murderers what they deserve. Zionist interest in relocating Jewish communities to Israel was partly born out of a resignation that another program is always just around the corner in Christian Europe. The church's obsession with Jesus' death has not been good news for Jewish people. What about the Muslims? Well, in the history of cross-related Christian violence, the Muslims have got no need to feel left out. If the Jews got it because they pushed Jesus in front of Pilate for trial, the Muslim crime was to deny Jesus' death and then get their infidel hands on the holy sites of Jesus' death and burial. How could English and French Christians live comfortable, peaceful lives whilst the very place where Jesus died has passed into unworthy ownership? Pope Urban's recruitment campaign for the First Crusade in 1095 was put in explicitly devotional terms. May you deem it a beautiful thing to die for Christ in that city where he died for us. End of quote. Sam Harris is an American atheist with an interest in the way religion causes irrational conflict and terror. Now, I wouldn't look to him for a balanced account for the good and bad religion does in human history. 
but his 2005 book, The End of Faith, does offer some convincing illustrations of each religion's contribution to fueling violence and intolerance. And looking at the 21st century Middle East, he claims on page 93, I quote, Contemporary Muslim anti-Semitism is heavily indebted to its Christian counterpart, end of quote. When your religion centres on the killing of a Jew and you think that's a good thing, it doesn't seem a big step to move on to the killing of a few more Jews. The sacred duty of killing Jews is not one of Christianity's finest hand-me-downs. By this sign you will conquer, is what Emperor Constantine the Great was told, 312 AD, about the cross he saw in the sun at the Melvin Bridge on the eve of a decisive battle with rebels. He did indeed conquer his immediate enemies. Christianity changed from oddball cult that would not hurt a fly to the state religion with military power. Many of the most successful imperial powers have been fueled by that sense of God's kingdom growing as they gain territory. Where those in darkness resist God's advance, then violent force is of course entirely appropriate. Constantine was the first emperor to conquer by this sign, but certainly not the last. Indians, Africans, Native Americans, Australians and many others have had a lot to fear when European Christians turn up carrying a cross and talking about the death of Jesus. This applies to the imperial campaigns of the English, the French, Spanish, Dutch, German, Portuguese and many other Christian nations. We've seen how cross-centred Christianity first evolved in the very violent circumstances of the late first millennium. And there's a fascinating correlation between the decline of violent murder in Europe and the decline of Christianity. Matt Ridley has written this book called The Rational Optimist. Americans will think of him as a sort of English version of the Harvard psychologist Steven Pinker talking about progress in, in history. On page 85 of The Rational Optimist, Matt Ridley gives us homicide rates for Europe. He shows that they were fairly stable up to about 1450 when they were 35 deaths per 100,000 people. And then he shows the graph going down to them being roughly 1 per 100,000 by 1950. That's 500 years later. And what I can't help noticing is that this graph looks rather similar to the decline in church attendance over that period. There may well be a parallel between this continent letting go of violent death and losing its tie with Christianity. Now, of course, we need to be careful not to confuse correlation with cause and effect. I'm not suggesting that modern Europe is more peaceful because there are fewer murderous Christians about. But I do think that violence and the traditional cross-oriented Christianity go hand in hand. This appears to be borne out by crime statistics in the US. The states with higher levels of traditional Christian faith and church attendance record higher rates of violent crime and murder. The more secular liberal states 
record lower homicide rates. The more Christian states are more likely to practice execution with a judicial death penalty. So there appears to be a symbiotic relationship between Christianity as we know it and violence. And it seems to me the element of Christianity most likely to account for this is the violent death of Jesus. When Christians began to place the cross at the centre of their religion round about 800 in what later became Germany, the new emphasis appealed to both perpetrators of violence and to the victims. The soldiers forcing their will were drawn to the idea of God tackling sin with serious conflict to the death. They linked this with the Old Testament passages commanding slaughter of God's enemies. The victims were attracted by the sense of suffering redeemed by God. Seems to me that neither of these spiritualities have a place in healthy religion today. Consider first the aggressor. The church was reluctant to support military violence against others in the early Christian centuries, perhaps because Christians were more likely to be on the receiving end of violence before Constantine. Perhaps it was because we were sensitive to the sacredness of life. Reluctant to support armed conflict, there was an uneasy relationship with the army. But as the cross came to dominate religion, there was a new accommodation with warfare. There was a new acceptance that killing is part of the soldier's vocation. Killing was no longer wrong per se. You just had to make sure it was God's enemies you killed. The church moved a long way from St. Ambrose, Bishop of Milan, making Emperor Theodosius do penance for military bloodshed. That was in the 4th century, before the cross moved to the centre of things. When Holy Roman Emperor Charlemagne terrorised the Saxons for 33 years after 800, forcibly baptising them at the point of sword, his military victory was compared to Jesus' defeat of sin and death and hell on the cross. The execution of Jesus was now being witnessed both on the altar in church and on the battlefield in combat against all who would not voluntarily do things God's way. Crucifixion was now centre stage in the life of the church. Cross-centred Christianity suited anyone who wants to force their will or their way of life over others. What about today? Well, killing people in God's name will not wash anymore. This idea has a dreadful past and no future. War may still serve some limited purpose. There may still be some scope for some sort of just war theory, as pioneered by St Augustine. But it's got to be done reluctantly, as last resorts, as a sober calculation about costing the damage. Not as glorious vocation from God. Not commanded by God. Not sanctioned by God and not in God's name. If God even comes into it, he's the one we apologise to afterwards. Now let's consider the victim. Early 9th century Saxons, already Christian before Charlemagne forced the official version of church on them, were also drawn to the cross. Facing relentless battle, destruction of the sacred places, deforestation and terror in many forms, they were comforted by the thought of Jesus suffering just like them. Their art portrayed Jesus' side pierced by the sword with blood flowing into the chalice. They embraced the new official theology of the Eucharist, emphasising that bread and wine 
of Jesus' body and blood being sacrificed daily by the priest. Saxons were hardly the final victims of violence to find comfort and consolation in the cross. But is this healthy? I fear that looking to Jesus on the cross when you're bashed or beaten is quite a dangerous spiritual path. The danger here is not that you'll get carried away with God on your side and bully someone else. Rather, it's that you will tyrannise yourself. Not very long ago, the priest would have sent the battered wife back to her husband, exhorting her to follow the example of him whose suffering was greater than we can possibly imagine. There's a very fine line between suffering with dignity on the one hand and tolerating abuse in a way that dignifies no one. As the nation of Ireland moves rapidly away from its Catholicism, there's a huge appetite for telling stories about the abuse of a wide variety of victims aided and abetted by church, teaching them about putting up with ill-treatment as Jesus did. A wide range of groups, from unmarried mothers to abused children, are seen as having had their suffering overlooked by an institution that expects suffering and pain as the gift of God. As the scale of clerical child abuse became apparent, one of the instinctive responses from parts of the church was to relativise the problem. Jesus suffered in serving God, priests suffer in serving him. Parishioners must expect to suffer, including children. Their view of life as a vocation to suffer made abuse more likely to happen in the first place than in other institutions and then slowed down their response afterwards. Human beings need a spirituality of suffering. At the very least, we need a coping strategy. But unfortunately, the way of the cross is a strategy sullied by centuries of misuse. Violence against the person and violence against yourself. Whether this spirituality can ever shake off its baggage and reinvent itself in a positive way remains to be seen. There's a massive gap between the Christian piety of crucifying yourself and the contemporary quest to find yourself and look after yourself, indeed to love yourself, can it ever be bridged? In Britain, the general trend downwards of church attendance in the 20th century was only interrupted by the two world wars. Now that could be because people fall back on their faith in time of crisis. I wonder if the visible presence of death made this death-obsessed religion feel more relevant again. Whilst it's not something that I want to see, it could be that the best prospect of revival for cross-centred Christianity might be World War III. As this Lent series ends, Church Ahead has just passed its first birthday. We've been on the air now for a year. We've set ourselves quite an ambitious task in trying to work out why Christianity is in decline and in what future there might be. Church Ahead is just getting going, but I think we've already seen in this first year there's quite a lot wrong with our religion. And I don't see any bright future for any version of Christianity that says Jesus' death is the most important thing about him.
Thank you for listening to episode 48. That's the end of our Lent series. We're going to have one week off, be back on the air 21st of April, and we're going to look at how often do you go to church. For now, Happy Easter.